Martin Luther was 25 years old when Calvin was born. Today we're talking about John Calvin. I'm Laura Lee Siemens and welcome back to Church History. Today we're diving into the story of John Calvin. On July 10th, 1509, in the town of Picardy in the Kingdom of France, little John Calvin was born. John was the second son to Jared and Janine. Martin Luther was 25 years old when Calvin was born. Soon the couple had a third son. The three boys, Charles, John, and Antoine were the pride of their father. Jared worked for the bishop. He was the cathedral notary and also the register for the ecclesiastical court. Jean was the daughter of an innkeeper. So Calvin grew up with a pretty secure childhood until his mother died suddenly. That left Jared to raise his sons alone. Education was extremely important to Jared, and he pushed his sons to excel at school. Calvin was extremely bright, and by age 12, he'd been hired by the bishop as a clerk. A very wealthy family, the Montemores, saw that young Calvin had a bright future and took him under their wing. Through this family, he was given a lot of financial and educational help. This family helped to pay for him to go to Paris to study. In Paris, Calvin learned Latin and philosophy. In 1526, Jared sent Calvin to the University of Orleans to study law. Jared felt that Calvin would make more money if he studied law. At law school, Calvin was introduced to humanism. We've talked about this before on this podcast. Humanism, at this point in history, was about seeing the value in each individual human. This movement pushed for education in the classics. At this point, Calvin also learned Greek. Calvin did so well in school that he was asked to teach before he even graduated. While he was studying law, he became friends with a group of Protestants. The movement was really gaining in popularity. It was during this time that Calvin became a Christian. This is what he wrote about that night. Being exceedingly alarmed at the misery into which I had fallen, and much more at that which threatened me in view of eternal death, I, duty-bound, made it my first business to betake myself to your way, condemning my past life, not without groans and tears. And now, O oh Lord, what remains to a wretched like me, but instead of defense earnestly, to supplicate you not to judge that fearless abandonment of your word, from which in your wonderful goodness you have at last delivered me. In 1532, Calvin published his first book. He spent some time traveling and visiting his family home. By the time he returned to the college, 
a fight had broken out in the school. The school had been divided into two groups, the senior faculty members and the humanists, who were also the reformers. The arguments were getting worse and worse. Then everything exploded on one November day. It was November the 1st, 1533. One of Calvin's good friends, Nicholas Kopp, got up to speak. Nicholas was a humanist and a reformer. His speech was a call on the Catholic Church to reform its ways, dump the Pope, and get back to the biblical way of running church. The speech did not go over well. The senior members called him a heretic, and it was soon learned that Calvin had helped write the speech, and the target was on Calvin as well. Calvin and Nicholas realized their lives were at risk, so they ran. They had to live in hiding for over a year. Almost one year later, in October, the reformers began to post anti-Catholic cards around town. This led to the church attacking anyone who was a reformer, and even non-reformers who would simply not condemn them. Calvin realized his time in France was over, and he fled. In 1536, Calvin published another book, Institutes of the Christian Religion. Calvin then got a job in Italy, working for the princess, renowned of France. His life was definitely full of interesting twists and turns. Then Calvin received word from his younger brother that his father had passed away. Calvin returned to France to help Antoine sort out his father's affairs. He was happy to be back in France and hoped that things had calmed down and he would be able to stay. However, things had only gotten far worse. It was announced that all heretics had a six-month window to renounce all heresy and return to the Catholic Church. Calvin realized that he would not be able to live in France. He decided to move to Strasbourg. This was a place many reformers had fled to, and it was a sanctuary for them. So he headed out. But like everything else in Calvin's life, things did not go as planned. Imperial forces and French forces were lining up ships and preparing for battle. So Calvin's ship had to take a detour and he ended up in Geneva. Calvin was told his stop would be for one day and night only. Calvin walked around Geneva. It was an ungodly place, full of vice and immorality. It was a shock to Calvin. He found a place to stay the night and turned in. But suddenly, there was a knock at the door. He opened the door, and there stood a man, William Farrell. William was a reformer and a preacher. He begged Calvin to stay in Geneva. There was so much work to be done here for the gospel, and it was too much for one man to do alone. Calvin was not interested. He told William he planned on finding a quiet place in Strasbourg to live and write. He had no intentions of being a pastor 
or even helping in a church. William looked Calvin in the eye. Your plans are selfish and not from God. You are only doing what pleases yourself and not what pleases God. Calvin was so convicted by this, he agreed to stay and help William. And that's how Calvin moved to Geneva. At first, Calvin helped with the church, but by 1537, he was given his own church to pastor. He had never received any formal education in pastoral care. He was, in fact, still a lawyer by trade. Geneva was a city-state that was run by the city council. At this point in time, most countries that were considered Christian countries had to decide if they would be Protestant or Catholic. Geneva, as a city-state, had decided that it would be Protestant. The church was very entwined in the government of the city, and as Calvin and William worked to bring the gospel to the city, it was often rejected by the city council. One council meeting became so heated that the men drew their swords to attack Calvin, and Calvin and William had to flee and leave Geneva. By September 1538, Calvin made it to Strasbourg. Here, he was given not one church, but three, St. Nicholas, St. Madeline, and Dominican Church. He was extremely busy. He preached at all three churches. He had around 500 people in his churches, and he preached every single day. He had communion once a month, and he made sure there was singing in every service. Calvin's friends began to push him to find a girl and get married. Calvin wasn't really interested in this, but his friends began to present different women to him to marry. His friends decided on a young girl from a noble family. Calvin reluctantly agreed to marry her, but only if she learned to speak French. The date for the marriage was set for March 1540. However, Calvin simply could not force himself to marry her and he backed out. Around this time, a man Calvin had been mentoring passed away. He left behind a young widow and two small children. The widow's name was Idolette de Bleur. Calvin married the widow and took her two children as his own. While the marriage began as a marriage of convenience and aid, Calvin fell deeply in love with Idolette, and she was a great support for him. Calvin was quite content in his life and ministry. And then the city council in Geneva asked him to return. After much prayer, Calvin took his little family and moved back to Geneva. It was a warm Sunday morning. You walk into St. Peter's Cathedral. It's been four years since you heard Calvin speak. There's a nervous excitement in the crowd. It takes a while for you to find a seat. It's packed today. People are whispering and everyone is wondering what Calvin will say. What grand speech will he give on his first Sunday back? A hush falls over the crowd. Calvin is walking to the pulpit. He opens his Bible and says, The last time I was with you, we looked at Romans chapter 3, verse 21. 
Today, we will be looking at verse 22. And just like that, it was as if the last four years didn't happen. It didn't take long for Calvin to see a huge problem in the church. There was a group called the Libertines. This group had family ties to the city council and could get away with anything they wanted. They were the most immoral of anyone in the city. These men and women would be foul, partiers, sexually immoral, and then they would come to church on Sunday and expect to be treated with respect and to be given communion. The argument the Libertines gave was this, we are not saved by our works, but by God's grace. God is sovereign and has picked anyone who is to be a Christian and who is not. So what we do has nothing to do with salvation. Now, Calvin did teach the doctrine of sovereignty of God, and he taught salvation through grace, not of works. He taught that God's grace was so strong that no man could refuse it, that if God called you to salvation, you would accept it. But Calvin refused to accept that a follower of Jesus would live his or her life full of immorality. And Calvin made it very clear this group would not be receiving communion at his church. That Sunday, the Libertarians showed up for church. They would show Calvin who was the boss, and it would not be him. As the time came for communion, Calvin walked down in front of the communion table. He drew his sword and began to offer communion to the true followers of Jesus. The Libertines saw that he meant business, and they did not try to take communion. The Libertines were the most famous in town. They were the elites, the rich. They had family connections to the city council. They ruled the city, everywhere except for the church. This conflict that they had with Calvin led to many more clashes between Calvin and the city council. Calvin and Idolette had a little baby. This would be Calvin's only child. However, the baby got sick and died before his first birthday. This is an important reminder of this time period. So many babies would die in the first year. If you survived the first year, chances are you will either starve to death, get sick with a plague, or be sent to war and die. And if you survive all of that, you would live to the ripe old age of maybe 60. So death was something that everyone understood was part of life. Of course, today we still live with the reality that every single person who is alive will die. Death is still part of life. But because we are not brought face to face with death on a regular basis, we do not live with the reality that life here on earth is short and we should be living for eternity. During this time, the Inquisition was still happening and the church was still burning people alive. And this brings us to our next story, Michael Servetus. Michael was a theologian and a scientist. He taught about the Trinity. Michael was on the hit list from the church because he taught against the Trinity. Michael came to Geneva. Now some historians say he was looking for refuge. Other historians say he came looking to stir the pot and to spread his anti-Trinity theology. Michael was arrested when he refused to stop preaching against the Trinity. His trial was held 
and Calvin was one of the men who was called to testify. He testified against Michael, that he had spoken against the Trinity. He also testified as a theologian to defend the Trinity. During the trial, Calvin visited Michael in prison many times and tried to convince him to disavow his teachings against the Trinity. Michael refused. The city council found Michael guilty and sentenced him to death by burning at the stake. Calvin tried to have the death sentence carried out by beheading for two reasons. One, Calvin didn't believe in the superstitious background to the burning at the stake, but he also believed that death sentences should be quick and humane. Burning at the stake could take up to 45 minutes to die. It was an extremely painful death. The city council did not listen to Calvin and the death sentence was carried out and Michael was burned at the stake. This is one of the biggest marks in history against Calvin. There are some misconceptions about this story. One is that Calvin had Michael killed for his love of science because Michael was beginning to write and talk about our blood circulating through our body. While it is true that Michael did love science, that had nothing to do with the trial or the death sentence. The other thing is that Calvin had Michael killed. While Calvin did speak at his trial and did speak against him, it was the city council that condemned him and Calvin definitely did not control the city council. And in fact, they were at odds for most of his life. The same year that Michael was killed, in England, King Edward died, and his sister Mary took the throne. Mary, known today as Bloody Mary, began to kill Protestant church leaders, and hundreds of men, women, and children fled England and came to Geneva. One of the church leaders who came was John Knox. We've talked about this in some of our past episodes. If you want to know more about Bloody Mary and about John Knox, I have an episode on each of these stories. Calvin and John Knox became very good friends and served together. Calvin believed strongly in education and the hundreds of Christians. Calvin believed strongly in education and the hundreds of Christians who spent their time in Geneva studied under Calvin. They studied theology, but they also studied other ideas as well, like political systems. Calvin insisted that men of character should be the ones in political office and that any ungodly men were unfit for service. He taught that we must refuse to obey leadership that does not submit to the authority of God and that we have a moral right to refuse to obey tyrants and unjust leaders. Calvin taught the constitutional forms of government. He believed that every government should have a constitution and that constitution was the ruling authority. And if a government did not follow the constitution, the Christian did not have the duty to follow or obey the government. Calvin believed everyone, kings, elected, peasants, everyone should all be under the same constitution. Calvin also taught the idea of representative form of government, and he was one of the people who developed the idea of a parliament. This was a radical idea at the time. Calvin also taught about economics. 
He believed work was ordained by God. He taught that we are stewards of this world and that we must work and take care of the world. He believed in the right to own private property and he taught free enterprise. All of these things he saw in the Old Testament. Education was extremely important to Calvin. He developed education more than any man since Charlemagne. He believed that there was no such thing as a neutral education. To be educated is to know God. We must study science, medicine, and philosophy, and that studying science, medicine, and philosophy, you will know God better. Academies grew up all over Geneva, and by the time Bloody Mary died and the English were able to return to England, they were extremely well educated in science, medicine, philosophy, economics, political systems, and of course, theology. John Knox said that the school in Geneva was the finest school in the world, and he learned more in those years with John Calvin than the rest of his life combined. When the English returned to England, the Protestant movement was growing, and the Church of England was once again the state church. But the group that had studied with Calvin saw many flaws in the Church of England and began to call for the church to be purified from all Catholic teachings that were still part of the church. Because of this, the group became known as the Puritans. The Puritans eventually found themselves in America, and the ideas of government and freedom and personal responsibility and economics would be essential to the forming of a new country. But we'll get to that in another episode. Meanwhile, back in Geneva, Calvin's beloved wife died. He was heartbroken. She had been his closest friend and companion. Calvin continued to care for his stepsons and raise them as his own. Calvin continued to preach and write. He slept only a few hours a day and worked at least 20 hours a day. He preached every day, sometimes twice a day, and he wrote and visited people. He suffered from chronic health issues. He had migraines, grout, and tried to solve the health problems by eating less. This caused him to have more health problems. In 1558, he became ill with a fever. He was afraid he would die before finishing his book. He refused to rest until the book was done. He did recover from this fever, but was still very weak. He continued to preach and strained his voice to the point of losing his voice. He began to have major coughs, and one day, in a bout of major coughs, he broke a blood vessel in his lungs. After that incident, his health continued to worsen. So he had his will drawn up. He left his money to be split between the school and his stepsons. He asked that his body not be placed in a marked grave because he did not want to be called a saint or to have people worship him. He died. May 27th, 1564, at the age of 54. He did have people come from all over to visit him before his burial and after his burial, but today we don't know where he was buried because his grave was not marked. Today, Calvin is really known for two things, his belief in the sovereignty of God and the idea that God chooses us and we can't refuse him, and the burning at the stake of Michael. There's so much more to Calvin. In fact, the one theology point he is most famous for is not even one of the main points of his writings. 
He believed in infant baptism, and he writes about that quite a bit. However, that is not something people associate with him, probably because most of the people who follow Calvin today would disagree with him on infant baptism, so they like to just pretend he didn't write about that. I have also read accounts of him throwing pregnant, unmarried women into a river to drown. However, from what I've read from historians, this seems to be completely made up and have no truth in it at all. I've also read that he was harsh and strict, and I think that would make him a man who lived in the 1500s. I'm pretty sure that that's what the men were like at that time. I read a letter he wrote to a young father who lost a child. It was beautiful and full of sorrow and hope for eternity. It seems that he did have a caring heart for those who needed it. Calvin never wanted to have a big following. He didn't even want to be a preacher. He wanted to live alone and study and write. Even in his death, he didn't want people visiting his grave. Regardless of where you stand on the theology of Calvin and how many points you give yourself as a follower of him, or even if you reject the idea of being a follower of Calvin completely, regardless of where you stand, you have to admit that he was a pivotal point in church history. Next week, we're talking about the Hussites, the man who started it all, the war that broke out over them, how they impacted our world today, and who they are today. Until next week, if you want to hear more podcasts, watch videos, or read my blog, visit lauraleesiemens.com. 